0: listening to the Women Encouraged Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We're all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so I'm delighted to be sharing with you these discussions with women who love the Lord, love His Word, and are pursuing a life of faithfulness in Him. We're praying that this is a place of blessing and encouragement for you. Welcome to the conversation. Hi, friends. Welcome back. On today's episode of the Women Encouraged podcast, I'm talking with author Stacey Riach, writer of Wilderness Wanderings, a Bible study through Exodus on finding contentment in the desert times of life. Stacey is also a pastor's wife, and she has written many articles for Desiring God and some other publications. Today, Stacey and I are talking about how the gospel answers our tendencies to live in a what-if world and how we often mirror the Israelites when it comes to grumbling. Stacy and I also chat about the differences between grieving loss and discontentment, something we can all use some clarification about. So what is the right response to feeling like our situation isn't what we had hoped or expected? And what are some verses we can cling to and use to reorient our hearts towards God's goodness in our wilderness times? Let's jump into my conversation with Stacy to find out. Welcome, Stacey Riak. I'm so happy to have you joining me today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Would you introduce yourself for our listeners who don't know you and just give us a little picture of what your life is like?
1: Sure. Um, my name is Stacey. I have been married to my husband, Ben, for 19 years. And we live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where Ben pastors Three Rivers Grace Church. And we have four kids ranging from 16 down to five. So that makes our life really fall. And especially crazy this year is we have four kids in four different schools, um, and even different schooling methods this year. So (laughs) this year feels a little chaotic, but, but it's a good, a good crazy. So as a pastor's wife, I serve alongside Ben in different aspects of ministry from Counseling, discipleship, hospitality. I especially love women's ministry and um, helping other women to be students of the word. And as far as day to day, it's just filled with a lot of typical mom things laundry, lots of time in the kitchen, some feeding to teenagers. Um, and yeah. in <laughs> moments of free time, I love to write. So, kind of in between carpooling and feeding everyone, I'm writing. So, that's a way that I just feel like I process what God's teaching me. I love that.
0: And I love your writing too. I know that you have really ministered to my heart through a few things that you've written, especially in the last Mm -hmm. year. And I'm just so thankful for that. You wrote a book recently though, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a devotional for women called wilderness wanderings, finding contentment in the desert times of life. And it basically goes through Um, the wilderness journey of the Israelites through the book of Exodus. And it just kind of um, takes a piece at a time and walks you through that scripture and fleshes out some life application of how our lives today parallel in so many ways, the Israelites and the different struggles that they faced. Part of me writing this as a devotional was like most devotionals are topical, you know, they kind of skip around from like, one passage in the bible to a like old testament to a new testament passage just all over the place. So I wanted to write like a chronological devotional. So I kind of wrote it for women who maybe feel like they don't have time to invest in a inductive study right now, but they still wanted to study through a portion of scripture, you know, section by section like going working through a book of the bible. Mm. So
0: did you have any personal experience that made you feel like this is the thing that I really am connecting with right now, or this is the thing that I really want to, you know, explain to women or share with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely have had numerous wilderness times of life. I think what prompted me to write Wilderness Wanderings, it was just a really difficult season of life and ministry in general during um, the time that these that I was studying, actually, the the life of Moses, and the Pentateuch in a women's Bible study I was in. So each week, as I did the homework, and I went to the study, I was just really, just nourished by the word and so encouraged and just felt like I identified some weeks I identified with the Israelites, some weeks I identified with Moses. And, and during that time, I started writing some articles that were published. And pretty soon, I thought, you know, I think I could write a small book on this section of scripture, and just what the Lord is teaching me.
0: That's so neat. Did you have a favorite uh, Bible study that you worked through for
1: the Pentateuch? Well, I actually was in something called Bible Study Fellowship, B.S.F. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but um, I've been in that off and on over the years. And yeah, they had a great study. But um, over the course of a school year, we went through the Pentateuch.
0: Okay, that's so neat. I got to jump in after um, my Bible study group that I joined uh, when I—I I guess it would be about ten years ago now. Uh-huh. I jumped in after they had finished studying Genesis through the inductive study method with Preset Ministries. Yeah, and I so I missed out on Genesis, but I jumped in when they were starting Covenant, and I will never forget just the way my eyes were open, and I really. In a lot of ways, got to see Jesus for the first mm-hmm. time in Scripture, and and you know I'd been raised in the church, and I I knew the Lord, I loved Him, I loved His Word, but I just didn't know how to study. And mm-hmm. then getting to learn through that kind of overview study, but then to go and follow that up with you know Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, wow. and to see what God was doing and that what He was tracing and what He was doing in the lives of His people it was just really incredible. And I love that, um, what you were talking about, just kind of identifying with the Israelites and then identifying with Moses. That's, that's so familiar to me. And I love Mm -hmm.
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's neat that you talk about precept because when I became a Christian, when I was in college, that was actually the first Bible study I was introduced to. I had a, a campus ministry leader who was just super passionate about inductive Bible study and training us how to do precept and so I just jumped into Romans 1 to 5. Wow. <laughs> is, you know, quite the study to to start your Christian walk in, but it was great. Right. But that's a great method to be introduced to
0: too because it then is. it's not like you have to try harder for something later if you've been kind of using like a watered down um, you know, maybe a devotional sort of a study and mm-hmm. then try to graduate to something more in-depth. It's probably better to start with something really heavy duty
1: like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gave me a good foundation for sure. So
0: in your studies of Exodus and, and the wilderness wanderings that the Israelites went through, you must have come up against just so many different examples of how we Christians often mirror the Israelites in ways that we complain and long for something that, you know, we perceive is better than Mm -hmm. what God has actually given us. And so today we're talking together about um, grumbling. We're talking about trusting that God is going to work in our current circumstances. And so I'm wondering, would you share what we can learn from Israel from their wilderness wanderings.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many things we can learn, but I think an overarching theme is just kind of that idea that the grass is greener on the other side. So if you remember, you know, the Israelites had been in captivity over 400 years and they were crying out for deliverer, which that's a good thing, right? Crying out to God is a good thing. But then once God delivered them, you know, it wasn't long after he had performed these amazing miracles of bringing them out of Egypt that they started to crumble. You know, they started to not have the food that they were used to. And the journey was long and it was hot and they were in the desert and there wasn't enough water. And so soon they were... Complaining, they were idealizing the past. You know, they were looking back at Egypt, saying, "Oh, if only we were back in Egypt, where the meat pots were full and yeah. we had as much as we wanted." So it's easy, you know, to I think forget sometimes the the hard things that happened earlier in life, and just to kind of gloss over it and just have this idealized view of the past. So. I think that's what the Israelites were doing that made them so discontent because they were imagining that life was better when they were slaves in Egypt, right, which is right. crazy, you know, because they were not even treated as people then, but as possessions. But I think it's easy, you know, for us to do the same thing that when we're especially pressed in a difficult situation a difficult circumstance in life that we can look back at another season of our lives and say, Oh man, if only I was back to the time that my kids were little because being, having teenagers is really hard and the issues get bigger and heavier. And if only they were tiny again, but, You know, if I was back in that stage of life, I'm sure I would be saying, oh, if only I could have a few minutes to myself. If only everyone was potty trained and I wasn't doing diapers all the time. You know, it's just easy to to think the grass is greener on the other side.
0: Do you think that there's a sense in which we do this about our salvation, too, where we might think, you know, maybe God's rules are too hard or um if we don't love God's ways in a way we might feel like, you know, when I wasn't a Christian, I didn't have to keep any rules, you know, Mm -hmm. do do you think there's a sense in which we kind of mirror the Israelites in that way as
1: well? Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good insight. Yeah. I think that, that definitely when we don't see that there is joy in obedience, that there's joy in following God's commands, we can see them as a list of rules. And, you know, that God is the cosmic killjoy ruining all our fun. (laughs) And I I remember struggling with that, honestly, as a as a new Christian, I remember thinking, you know, oh, man, you know, like, I guess I can't go out and dance and party anymore. You know, I can't can't do these fun things that I used to really enjoy because now I'm a Christian and, you know, but I, I wasn't seeing the joy in following God's plan and the joy in obedience and then the joy in, in doing what he created me to do. So I think that, that, yeah, we definitely can fall into that same kind of trap.
0: So in terms of just, you know, there is a difference between grieving something that's lost, which we all have. Like, we all go through these experiences where, you know, we've experienced a loss, but, you know, we might look back at that loss and say, well, things were better then, but then not Mm. believing that God actually sovereignly took that out of our lives. And I, I can attest to the fact that If you look back at the things that were lost and you don't recognize that God's hand was in them, you will become very bitter and hard of heart. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I just finished reading Job. Um, Mm. And so I just kind of think as believers, you know, we can kind of shift our focus from saying, oh, I'm grieving to just permanent, perpetual discontentment with the current circumstances that we have. Can you discuss just the differences between those?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think you're right. You know, that grieving something, I think grieving something lost is not a sin issue. You know, it, it's obviously we're going to go through major losses in life, whether it's the loss of the life of someone we love or the loss of a job or, or even the loss of our health. And I think it's okay and even healthy to grieve those things. But then it's a question of what do we do afterwards? So like what you're saying, like, do we turn bitter and angry at what God's taken away? Mm. Or do we say like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So again, like what you were saying of recognizing God's sovereignty in the midst Mm -hmm. of our pain and suffering. Yeah, I think on the other side of things, when we can turn to wallowing in self-pity is a lot of times when we're claiming a particular right. Like we, we think we're entitled to something, you know, we're entitled to a bigger house or fatter checking account or entitled to, you know, not having this disease that we're, that we're struggling with. And, you know, that's when that entitlement will lead to sinful discontentment.
0: Mm. And I, I think too, like what you're saying, you know, if we think we're entitled, you know, there might be a sense or something actually was taken away from you. And maybe you were Mm -hmm. supposed to have something in a, in a in an earthly sense, like somebody actually took something away from you, but to, to see, you know, God's sovereignty and that really is the balm for, for that kind of grief.
1: Yeah, definitely I think going back to the character of God of of remembering God is sovereign, God is good, God is for me and not against me.
0: Yeah, and reminding ourselves of that is so helpful to to keep our perspective in the right place. But I mean, that's obviously a different situation than what the Israelites were walking through. You know, they weren't grieving their loss of slavery. They were just very forgetful that God had actually redeemed them and rescued them and, and the mighty works he had done. And I think as believers on this side of, you know, the Bible being written and this side of the cross, we have this glorious answer in the gospel. Would you talk about how the gospel answers our tendency to fall into those patterns of grumbling and wishing to escape from difficulty.
1: Yeah. Well, I think our sinful hearts are prone to be discontent. We're prone to wander. We're prone to follow the Israelites' pattern of grumbling, to be unthankful. But as believers in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to help us fight those sinful tendencies and when we do fall into sinful complaining, we can be thankful for Jesus' sacrifice that forgives us and sets us free from that. So I think as we spend time in the word and we find promises of God that help us fight discontentment, we, we abide in Christ as we keep his word in the forefront of our minds and hearts. And the promises of God are like a balm to our soul.
0: That's so great. And and abiding in Christ and knowing scripture, how do you feel that equips us specifically to deal with the feelings that the grass might be greener? Do you have any verses that you personally just find are so helpful to cling to when you're tempted to look
1: back in discontentment? Yeah. Instead of, you know, forward in faith. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think the promises of God are, there are weapon. There are, they are tool to fight discontentment. My favorite verse has really become a life verse for me is Psalm 84, 11, which mm-hmm. says the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So, I think at different times in my life, um I especially think of my husband and I had dated for two years, and then he broke up with me for two years while we were in college. And it was extremely uh. I know it's really sad. It was extremely difficult and heartbreaking for me, but this particular promise really was what gave me hope and gave me trust in the Lord that was that God would not withhold anything good for me. And for those two years, it wasn't good for Ben to be in my life. So, you know, the, the promises of God help us counsel our own heart. And I think that same promise of Psalm 8411, I've, I've given to other women, you know, that are struggling with infertility, that are struggling with, you know, desiring to be married or desiring to move to another place that God is not going to withhold anything good when we're walking with him. And that's, that's an amazing promise to help us fight discontentment. It
0: helps. That helps me to remember that too. And I love that verse, but I think there's a key in that. Do you think that the, the good thing, and we, we might look at our life and say, but this thing that I want is good. God, why aren't you giving it to me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we answer that feeling of, but this is good. Why won't you give me this good thing?
1: Well, I think that a lot of times what we think is good for our lives isn't necessarily what God thinks is good at that time. So, you know, marriage is a good thing and marriage is a gift, but singleness is also a gift and God's ways are higher than our ways. We can't always understand why God is withholding something that seems like it would be right and good, but it's again trusting his sovereignty. It's trusting that he is good, that he has our best in mind, that he's shaping us to become more like him through whatever trial we're we're facing.
0: Yeah. Would you explain what it is um, to live in what if world and and why that's so particularly dangerous for us as Christians? Sure.
1: So What I call living in a what-if world is, again, just that tendency to dream about the grass being greener on the other side, which really makes us doubt God and doubt how God has led us. So it might be saying, what if we had moved somewhere else? Would our life be better if we had lived somewhere else? Or what if we had a daughter instead of three sons? (laughs) Or what if I had married someone else or what if we had more money or what if we had a different education choice for our kids? So, so it's, it's kind of constantly doubting what God has provided and what God has given us. And makes us wonder if maybe he's holding something back or, right. you know, let us the wrong way and that there's something better on the other side of the hill. So I think it's dangerous because it can lead us again down that whiny path of ungratefulness that the Israelites were so often on just thinking that, that we're missing out and that there's a better option, that there's this ideal life that we could be having. And I think it's, you know, it's ultimately just a recipe for envy and ingratitude that that robs us of so much joy in life. That's so important to remember. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: You know, you think about all the ingredients of, of what what makes peace in our hearts. Well, the ingredients for for envy are really that discontentment and ingratitude. Yeah, yeah. So as Christians, you know, we we read the scriptures and we can, you know, sometimes use them as a self-help book or something like that. And, and I think that there are verses in, in Romans 8 that we might look at and say, well, you know, all things work together for good. Well, this, you know, this doesn't seem good for me. It's not turning out the way I think it should, or it's not good on my terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we fall into that temptation, like you were saying, to think that God is holding out on us. So what in those situations, obviously, I think repentance, what's that key to reorienting our hearts in a situation like that?
1: I think it's going back to the character of God, going back to who, who is God? You know, God, what are the attributes of God? God is good. God is faithful. God is just, God is sovereign. And when we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, in the past, it gives us assurance that he'll be faithful in the future. And like I had said before, we need to recognize that his ways are not our ways. The Psalms tell us that his ways are higher than our ways. Another example I thought of was William Cooper, who was a friend of John Newton's and a hymn writer. He wrote a hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And he has a wonderful quote that says, Mm. behind every dark cloud, there hides a smiling face. Mm. And so I love that hymn. I I love that hymn so much. It's great. It's got such good lyrics. But again, it's, it's asking, you know, do we trust that God is working for our good, even in the midst of our heartache?
0: That's so good. So as, as Christians, you know, we're going to face challenges. We, we're not going to go escape. We can't. Mm -hmm. So as believers in Jesus, while we're facing these challenges, how can we, face them fearlessly and faithfully. We're still recognizing that the world is broken and things are not the way that they should be because of sin, but how can we face these things fearlessly?
1: You know, at first it is just recognizing that Christians are not exempt from suffering and that we aren't gonna live a perfect, easy life here on earth. Like this earth is supposed to make us long for heaven. And the book of first Peter warns us that we're we're going to have suffering here on earth, So I think first is just recognizing that and recognizing that God uses that, that God uses the difficulties in our life to wean us from this world and make us long to be with him in heaven. And I also think, you know, as we've talked about just studying scripture, just memorizing, banking on the promises of God that help us to trust him, to help us to know his character, to know that he's sovereign, that he's in control. And also looking at faithful men and women from the past, people like Elizabeth Elliott or Corey ten Boom and taking heart at their examples at how they've lived a life of faith and faced tremendous difficulty and fearful situations and trusted God in the midst of it. Do you have
0: any favorite biographies or any particular books that you feel like are great resources to help encourage, you know, our hearts to look at how, what how God has worked and how he's moved other places.
1: Yeah. One book that comes to mind, Elizabeth Prentice who wrote a lot of hymns. Um she has a book called Stepping Heavenward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not a it's it's like loosely based on her life and she was a pastor's mm. wife. It's probably part of why I like it cuz I felt like I identified with with different things in her life, but um, that book I always say that was the the most edifying piece of fiction that I've read because it's um you know it's it's loosely based on her real life but there's so so many um examples that just point us to to having an eternal perspective in our life and to different trials that we face. So after I read Stepping Heaven, Heavenward I did get an actual biography on her life elizabeth Prentice? i'm looking at my bookshelf it's by sharon james um and i really enjoyed that one in particular
0: do you have any favorite women who you love reading that encourage you to just really live faithfully and and trust that god is sovereign
1: well i've definitely been shaped by nancy demas wolgamuth i think um you know, I was a pretty new Christian when Ben and I got married and I was 22. And, um, especially when we had our first baby and moved away from the seminary community that we were living in. And I started to listen to revive our hearts radio Mm -hmm. and God really used that to. I mean, it was, we lived kind of out in rural Kentucky at that time and didn't have a lot of fellowship. Um, I was alone a lot at home with my little baby and, and God really used her um, Bible teaching in particular to really grow me and disciple me in a way through, through her radio and through her books. And so I've been encouraged by her. I mean, there's so many I could list actually, but she's the first one that comes to mind.
0: That's so neat. I love that. I like her. Um, I've read some of her work, but I've, I've enjoyed her radio or her podcast, I guess now is what is where we get that now. <laughs> yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, now it's shifted, shifted from radio to podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, she just,
0: she just brings in these wonderful guests too that are so encouraging, and I've really been blessed by the, the conferences that she does, and getting to watch and listen to old, old talks that people have given, and yeah, such a gift. Yeah, definitely. So you kind of, you kind of mentioned some verses that helped you. That verse in Psalm 84, that helped you with discontentment. But how does fear specifically lead us into discontentment?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think of the example of the Israelites being pursued by the Egyptian army, you know, right at the, you know, when they get to the Red Sea Mm -hmm. and, you know, they hear they've been miraculously delivered, but then they turn around and there's all of these chariots and horsemen coming at them and they're filled with fear. And, you know, again, just fall into the trap of not trusting God, even though he promised, you know, that he was going to bring them safely to the promised land. So I think that, you know, when circumstances in our life get hard, and we see a situation happening around us or something, you know, something's happening in our life that stirs that fear, we can just forget the promises of God, it's kind of like, fear can make the promises of God just fly out the window. Um, One example I think about, with my own marriage and life, my husband years ago had gone on a mission trip to Turkey, and he was actually teaching at um, a conference for Christian workers overseas. And it was right at the time when there was a lot of unrest going on in Syria, there was a lot of fighting going on, like with the Syria and Turkey border. So when he went um, on his trip, I was excited for him, but I was a little bit nervous and apprehensive just of what was going on in the world at that time. So we had, you know, planned a specific time to FaceTime every day where we could just kind of check in, make sure, you know, we're doing okay. And there was a day that our time to check in went by and I didn't get any Call from him. So, you know, at first I just think, well, he's busy, you know, he's in the midst of a conversation. I'm sure he'll call in a few minutes. Well, you know, the minutes turned into hours. And then what do I do? The worst thing ever, I turn on the news and there's all of this fighting happening right on the border and, you know, starting to go into Turkey. And so, of course, just that fear just took over my mind. And all of a sudden, the worst possible situations were happening in my mind of, you know, what if the conference was taken over by terrorists and what if he doesn't come home and what will I do? And, you know, I'll need to go get a job and where will we move? And you know, by the time my husband finally was able to call me, I had already figured out where we would move and how much I'd sell the house for. You know, I had it, oh my goodness. <laughs> I to, I it out. So I think it's just that fear that mate that drives us to, you know, be discontent, be anxious, not trust the promises of God because we're trying to handle everything in our own Strength and trying to figure things out ourselves.
0: All of that anxiety didn't prepare you for anything terrible right. to happen, right? It just it just led you down a path of of distrust, really, of God. Mm-hmm. How does the Lord meet us then, Stacy, when we have fallen into patterns of fear and discontentment? What is what does He do for us in those situations?
1: Well, I think you know one neat example from Exodus. 14, when the Israelites saw the Egyptians coming towards them and they were filled with fear. I love Moses's response to the people. He says, fear not stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. So I think it's, you know, it's a beautiful picture of God is fighting our battles for us. And sometimes we are to stand up and, you know, take an active part. And other times, our best fighting is done on our knees. Other times we're to pray and we're to be still and we're to trust that God is handling the situation that God will fight for us on our behalf.
0: That's so encouraging. I really appreciate that. Um, In a situation where you feel totally alone, we cannot, obviously we cannot do our Christian walk alone. We cannot, God designed us to be in community. So would you explain from the examples in your book, maybe, but also how we are ministered to by the body of Christ in seasons of real difficulty and challenges?
1: Yeah, Definitely. So in Exodus 17, we find a really good example when um, the Amalekites were fighting the Israelites and Moses, when he raised his arms, the Israelites would prevail. But when he lowered them, the Amalekites would prevail. So his arms were getting tired. And as the battle raged on, he needed the help of Aaron, his brother and her. So they beautifully stood by his side and held up his arms one on one side and one on the other until the Israelites overwhelmed Amalek and his people and they won the battle. And I think that's such a, a gorgeous example of the the beauty of Christian community of we are to hold up each other's arms, that none of us is prepared to go through difficulties, to fight sin, to, to walk through the Christian life on our own. But we need a Christian community around us. We need brothers and sisters in Christ that will hold us accountable that will spur us on to love and good deeds, that will study the word with us, that will remind us of God's faithfulness to us when we're tempted to despair, when we're in those fearful situations. The beauty of the body of Christ is that that we spur one another on to, to live a life that's glorifying to the Lord.
0: Oh, Stacey, I love that. Thank you so much. I've I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you for joining me again. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Well, before we close, I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody. Would you share something, you know, a resource or a person or a passage or something that the Lord has been using to grow you in your walk with Him or with fellow believers?
1: Sure. I think um, for me, it's just being in a consistent women's Bible study. So right now I'm in a study that's going through the book of James and I love having Bible study homework for each day. I think I'm a little bit ADD, I get easily distracted. So having kind of that assignment to work through each day really helps me just to stay on track. And then kind of in combination with that, my kids of, you know, it's really fun having two teenagers, because we're able to talk about deeper issues. And they ask me really good questions (laughs) that that challenge, you know, what I'm learning and how to flesh out the Bible into real life. Um, So I think my kids are also a real sanctifying means in my life right now that it's, you know, God uses them. It's
0: so true, though. We I've loved now that my kids are getting older and more conversational (laughs) and we're actually interacting over things. I find that my faith is, has grown as I've been explaining things or yeah. um, trying to encourage them and and having these great deep conversations. Well, thank you again for joining me. And I just pray that the Lord will continue to bless your work, your writing, and your ministry to the women in your church and and far beyond. You've reached hearts up here, far into Canada. So <laughs> so we're very grateful for you, Stacy. Thank you. Thanks, Bethany. Thanks again for listening. You will find show notes on our website, womenencouraged.ca, with links to Stacy's blog and other resources that she mentioned. As always, we are so grateful when you share the podcast with your friends, and we'd be really blessed if you'd leave us a rating and a review. You can also connect with us on Instagram at Women Encouraged and on Facebook at the Women Encouraged page. We're going to close out with Psalm 84, 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We would do well to know God's word and anchor our hearts in his character and promises, not in our expectations or our disappointment. Comfort is not found in imaginary greener pastures or by chasing or grasping at the past, we can bemoan our circumstances like Israel and live like God has brought us out of slavery to sin only to leave us to languish in the wilderness. Or we can choose to believe that the merciful God who rescued us from the kingdom of darkness really has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We really are living in his marvelous light and he really will use hardship trials pain suffering and wilderness wanderings to refine us for his glory and for our good sister anchor your heart in his character and his truth